This is Risky Women Radio, a show to connect, celebrate and champion women in risk, regulation and compliance, sharing insight and perspective from the most influential members of our global Risky Women Network on the latest developments we need to think about, the challenges we should all talk more about and the innovation we are most excited about in governance, risk and compliance. Bringing together the hundreds of senior women professionals already connected with a new emerging group of leading women and men. I'm Kimberly Cole, your Chief Risky Woman. Welcome to Risky Women Radio. Today's session, we're taking you into one of our live events. So I hope you'll enjoy this podcast where we join our lunch at the ASEAN Regulatory Summit that we held last month at the Marina Bay Sands Hotel in Singapore. I hope you enjoy it. And please watch out for future events that we hold all over the globe as part of our regulatory summits. Thanks for joining and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome all of our risky women to our Singapore event today and sorry our timings have all been um, a little bit crazy. Um, But let me just give a quick uh, intro. Uh, We've got many familiar faces here who have been to the uh, risky women events before. But this is now a global network. We're operating across 11 different cities uh, across the globe. We started in Asia, starting in Hong Kong, um, and Singapore being one of our, I think maybe the third uh, place that we uh, extended the network to. I'm not gonna go through all the details, but you've got a copy of our annual report um, on your uh, table here. And so that sort of summarizes a whole range of different events. We'd love you to um, take a look at that. And also we have uh, updated our website and we've added a few new uh, features on here as well. So you can see all of the events that are coming up. Um, uh, So if you happen to be in New York, you can attend the New York event, for example. Um, And then down the bottom, we have a whole range of different assets and you'll see one of our newest additions is our Risky Women Radio. So today, we are actually going to be recording the session for a podcast on Risky Women Radio. We released the first um, of the podcasts uh, last week when we were in Sydney, and we had two of our government affairs uh, Risky Women from Citibank and from BNY Mellon were kicking off the the Risky Women Radio series. Today we're releasing another episode which was with Sam Moston who we um, who joined us in Sydney for Risky Women and as I said we'll record today and we've got a few others uh, lined up. So anyone interested in speaking on a particularly uh, in, you know, topic around governance, risk and compliance who'd like to um, come and join us for a podcast please let me know as well. So it's already been a pretty active kickoff to the Risky Women uh, series so far. To date, we have hosted events in Sydney, Boston, and Chicago. Obviously, we've got Singapore today, and we have got New York at the end of the month. Um, So it's all very active. Um, We're thrilled today that we are going to have another, what I think is gonna be very interesting uh, topic. And our title is Leading in Disruptive Times. So today we've got two award-winning lawyers. Um, They both lead their compliance functions of their businesses and they were both, so we've got both of the inaugural Singapore Chief Legal Officer winners. So (laughs) it's a a big day for us at Risky Women. 
So let me give a very brief intro and then we're going to um, have both Loretta and Gladys uh, join us and, and share a bit more about their careers, but I'll just do a brief intro. So Loretta Yuan is Executive uh, Vice President, uh, Group Legal, Legal and Regulatory uh, Compliance at OCBC. She oversees the full spectrum of legal and regulatory risks, including anti-money laundering across OCBC Bank and its subsidiaries, and provides advice on regulatory risks and legal issues. Um, beyond the CLO Award, Loretta was conferred with the IBF Distinguished Fellow Award in 2016. The IBF Distinguished Fellow is a significant role model who serves as a beacon of excellence for the financial industry. Gladys Chun, uh, General Counsel at Lazada Group, is our second uh, speaker today. And Gladys is responsible for legal and compliance matters where Lazada operates, which is quite diverse, includes Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, Thailand, Singapore, Vietnam, Hong Kong, China, and Russia. She started her career in corporate and tax practice before moving in-house um, with roles in retail, franchising, and technology. She has led her team at Lazada to win multiple awards, and in addition to her Chief Legal Officer Award, Gladys was named one of the top 10 30-somethings of 2017 by the Association of Corporate Counsel. So I think we have two incredibly accomplished women who will be able to tackle this question of leading in disruptive times from different perspectives and across different industries for us. So please, Loretta and Gladys, join us up here on stage. How is everyone today? <laughs> I see there is um, you know, a male change agent oh, yes, at every are. desk here. Table, table. We have our friends of Risky Women. Well, I think one big round of applause. We need more of you guys. We love you. So thank you for being here with the Risky Woman. You know, I saw they have a wine event in Boston next. We should go. We should go for that. That's, yes, we do have wine, wine, uh, wine events in, uh, in Boston, New York, Chicago, and San Francisco. Oh. We did actually do a lovely event here. Um, at the National Gallery last oh, time. Nice. So sometimes we do do things in the evening and then you can have wine, oh. just not at lunch. <laughs> okay, so let's kick off. We have, as I said, got two incredibly celebrated Chief Legal Officers here today. So I've given a couple of highlights, but maybe both of you could share a bit more about you know what what have been the um, the highlights in your career uh, and how you've sort of ended up where you have. Yeah, sure. Maybe I'll start off, Gladys. Um, so I've been with OCBC Group for the last 18 years. Uh, 18 years ago, when I started there, I was just a little legal counsel, and I remember at that time our uh, department was not more than nine persons. Today, I'm leading the entire legal and compliance division, and uh, our staff numbers 412 across across all our um, offices. Um, that's not just testament to OC the growth of OCBC Group, but really the regulatory storm that has befallen the uh, banking and financial services sector in the last couple of years. So um, that's a lot of uh, things going on we can talk about later, but you asked about my highlights. So I'm a, uh, I'm a mergers and acquisitions lawyer, banking M&A lawyer. So when I joined OCBC, I think one of the highlights has been that I've been on, I've completed quite a number of M&A deals with OCBC, all quite high profile, and I've learned so much from there. 
Um, just to name a couple that we've done, um, we just acquired National Australian Banking's uh, uh, wealth management business. Um, that's in 2017. We did a 430 million acquisition of the private wealth business of Barclays as well. In, uh, that's in 2015. We did a $6 billion acquisition um, of um, Wing Hung Bank in Hong Kong. I think that was the one that uh, everybody knows about because uh, it was widely reported. And of course, the 1.5 billion acquisition of uh, Bank of Singapore. Um, that was in 2010. So I, I love um, M&A work. So I'm, that's my blood. I've been doing that all my life. So I think that's my major highlight. Another highlight, it's actually um, currently what I'm experiencing right now because the banking industry, and uh, you will hear from, from Gladys, it's uh, kind of um, starting on our technology journey at the moment. Uh, RecTech is a quite a big thing for us, FinTech adoption. So I'm quite uh, excited and one of the highlights I've been doing is that uh, really um, spearheading, spearheading a lot of the FinTech projects in, within OCBC from the legal and regulatory uh, compliance perspective and talking to my board about it and uh, getting them involved. So it's been quite, it's been quite interesting. Thank you. Interesting. Well, of course, my career can't compare to the illustrious career that Loretta has. She looks 25, but she's worked 18 years. I don't know how she does it. But um, so I've been with Lazada for uh, four years. Um, I joined when uh, we were closing the funding round Series B with Tesco. Uh, before that, I was with Young Brands Inc., uh, managing their KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell franchise across 14 countries was not good for the waistline, so I quit. Uh, and before that, I was an attorney uh, specializing in corporate and tax in Baker McKenzie. Um, and, uh, you know, when Loretta was going through her deals list, it's like six billion, four billion. And I'm so glad I have a few billions on my, on my list to share to, otherwise I feel so left out. Um, <laughs> So I think in terms of achievement, um, you know, given that Lazada legal team is a very young team uh, and, and we start our journey right at the start where the exclusive growth of technology. Um, last year has been an uh, award-winning year for us um, in addition to what uh, Kimberly have shared. Um, in fact, the team was uh, shortlisted and some awarded uh, 10 categories of award across regionally and globally. Uh, and one thing that I was very proud is we beat well, we beat my shareholder, Alibaba, uh, to win the in-house team of the year in the Asia Legal Awards in Hong Kong. And I was seated right next to the Associate General Counsel of Alibaba, and I wasn't sure how I should react. Um, but that, you know, um, again, you know, it's, it's a huge testament to the team, uh, a lot of hard work uh, that we've came a long way uh, to, to, to where, where we are. So in terms of achievements, um, you know, Alibaba deal is the most celebrated deal uh, for the Lazada life. I mean, we've, we're only a 60 year old company. Um, I think in 2016, um, Alibaba first invested uh, a billion dollar in us. Uh, in 2017, they upped their, their stake by another billion. Uh, and this year, March, uh, we received another two billion um, in a very short span of time. Um, and and um, in 2016, when Alibaba acquired us, we subsequently also acquired Redmart. Uh, so for those of you who live in Singapore, uh, you, would, you would use RedMart um, because it's highly addictive. Uh, it's too convenient. Um, and, you know, they you can take buy wine and cheese on RedMart. Exactly, you exactly. You know, we sell everything, right? If you, wanna, you want grocery, you go to RedMart, and you want everything else, you go to Lazada. Um, I think we, we also, for the first time, uh, launched a loyalty program called LiveUp. Uh, we partner with, I should say, now ex-Uber, uh, so we partner with Uber and Netflix, where we offer loyalty programs um, to our customer. And for those of you who are familiar with Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime uh, was also a loyalty program that they offer to, to their customers. So we did that. Um, 
We also have a lot of people know Lazada as a platform company, but actually we have a large logistics uh, fleet uh, called Lazada eLogistics. Um, and uh, uh, on that front, we've been um, doing a lot of breakthrough stuff in 2017. Most of you would have heard EWTP, Economic World Trade uh, uh, Program, launched by uh, founding, Alibaba, founding partner Alibaba Jack Ma during the G20 in Hangzhou, um, where uh, subsequent to that, we've launched a digital free trade zone, the first of a kind um, in Malaysia. So that was launched last year, so that kept us quite busy. Um, for the launch and, and, and having a, a new model, a fulfillment model for e-commerce globally. Um, it is the vision uh, for us to uh, make it easy to do business everywhere, and it is Jack's vision to deliver goods worldwide within 72 hours. So that's... That's yeah. incredible. So, I mean, yeah. I think we got a good sort of insights into both your careers and the businesses, and I think it's going to be fascinating, and we will open it up to questions if you've got some questions later. Um, to look at what that means from a compliance, from a regulatory landscape and obviously across quite different industries. So just before we get into, um, get into some of those areas uh, that you need to uh, think about compliance and growth, which I think is a kind of interesting uh, topic, what, it, what have been some of the biggest risks that you feel that you've taken in your career? We, we were just discussing that just now. And I was just telling Gladys, the biggest risk I've taken so far is actually right here and right now. Because uh, <laughs> it's true. Okay, I mean, what I mean is that, uh, like I said earlier, you know, the banking industry in Singapore is taking a, uh, a huge um, drive into the fintech space, the innovation space. So I, 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 I won't say struggle, but I, I think about, I worry about whether I'm making the right choice when, I, when I've chosen a fintech solution, whether to implement it. Do I take a conservative wait and see approach but if I do that, then I risk being slow and sidelined, or, or worse, irrelevant, right? Or if I take a real, like, well, you know, the, 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 the Chong'a approach, right, and go for every solution I see, then I risk, it's very risky too, because it's not only costly, but I'm also draining all my resources down one path. Mm. So for me, the risk, the biggest risk I'm taking right now is how do I balance, you know, a bit of the daring do, you know, as you say, a bit more of a bravery thing, a bit of a courage thing, and going into the unknown, yet balancing that with good judgment. Mm. I think that's, that's the risk I'm facing at the moment. I think the key is really taking calculated risks. Um, for most of us who are lawyers, unfortunately, law school taught us to be super risk adverse. Um, and, and, you know, we, we tend to be a bunch that, that tend to be very risk resistant. Um, so, you can imagine working in an in a e-commerce company. When I, when I first joined, you know, we were very, very small. Um, it's probably about a couple of hundred of us. And then we scale um, in the last uh, four years uh, massively. Um, you know, just for example, um, when I first joined, I was the only lawyer in Singapore. I had a paralegal in Bangkok, and I had another lawyer in Vietnam. Today, I have a team of 41 people across um, Southeast Asia uh, covering both legal and compliance matters. So that's how fast we scale. Um, and that's not even how fast the business has grown. Um, so just to give you a sense of, you know, the lawyer per employee ratio, right? At, at, at current, current state, one uh, lawyer services about 226 employees of Lazada. Um, and that's pretty much, uh, you know, the setup also in, in Alibaba, uh, which is a lot of burden on a lawyer to address the risks of 230-something employee at any one point in time. So I guess for us, for me, the biggest risk 
um, which has, it's continuously growing, it's the same area of risk, is really navigating the regulatory landscape. Um, for me, you know, e-commerce, logistics and payments, um, if you look at five years ago, there was no regulation, right? The rules are intended for brick and mortar, uh, retail, brick and mortar transport company, and brick and mortar payment company like, like the banks. Um, if you talk about you know, e-wallet, or if you talk about you know, M NFC type of payment, enabled payment, um, it's so foreign in this region uh, five years ago. So for me, the biggest risk, and it's still the biggest risk for me today, uh, is really navigating that landscape and the complexity around various issues like consumer protection, um, you know, data localization, privacy, um, and availability of online information, because all these could act as an in impediment to trade, right? I mean, we live in a borderless world, but I still can't order anything that I want from Italy to get shipped into Singapore. Right. There are still many barriers that we need to overcome together, and that's a constant battle. And I guess, you know, with a young company, you know, I have been quite fortunate to be at the driving seat um, and experience that change alongside with the business folk. Um, so for us, we, you know, we choose to disrupt rather than be disrupted, right? That's our mantra, um, so, which is quite different from, you know, uh, where Loretta, you know, and the evolution that she's seen in the last 18 years. Yeah. yeah, no, it's fascinating. And I mean, Loretta, I read in a, an article that you had said compliance has moved sharply from an afterthought to the very forefront of critical business considerations. We now actively participate in business discussions concerning business strategy, product development and business decision making with senior management. So I guess from both of you, I mean, expanding on what you were just saying, Gladys, what does that mean for skills now for your team and for you? And how do you see that evolution continuing? Okay, so new skill sets or what kind of skill sets we look for to, to kind of take on what's coming on, right? So I think a thirst for knowledge, I think the, the quest for learning and knowledge uh, needs to be there with the people. And, um, you know, as you can hear all the change that Lazada is going through in the e-payment space. And I think the banks are going through that. So as a banking lawyer, as a banking compliance person, you need to, have, you need to maintain that thirst for knowledge and quest for, for learning, especially as we move down this new technology space. That's one. The second one is really the, uh, the neck for problem solving. So I think problem solving is uh, really with what with exactly to the, to the code that I just made because uh, when the board or when senior management comes to you with a problem, what they're looking for is a problem solver. So you need to come, you need to come through with a, with a practical solution because they don't want to hear the rule book. They don't want to hear, oh, you know, the MES says this or the, the law says this. They want to hear the solution and how do, I, how do they get the business outcome but yet still remain safe within the confines of the regulation. So that's where we come in. So those are the two things I think it's important from a banking well, perspective. Loretta is very kind. I have a long list. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, echoing Loretta's, uh, you know, one should be open to learn about new domain of knowledge. With the evolution of technology, um, we must remain open-minded. That's given. Um, I think for me, what I'm looking for, the skill sets, is really a sense of entrepreneurship. Uh, being in a tech company, um, you know, we, we, we were a startup. I would like to still think that we're still a startup, um, even though we're part of Alibaba Group. Um, that sense of entrepreneurship is, is very important, um, which means that you have to be a strategic thinker. Um, you have to be able to uh, uh, um, navigate risk strategically and, and tactfully. Um, and in Lazada, because we operate in six different markets and six fragmented markets, 
uh, the ability to work across multicultural uh, and across multilingual team is important. Um, and you need to be you know, culturally sensitive uh, you know, to the norms in Thailand or Vietnam or Philippines. Um, I think lastly, it's really an outstanding communication skills. Because at the end of the day, what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis is influencing, advocating, um, and, and um, you know, ability to distill complex issues of laws. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, what, is it, what are the big focus areas this year for the business for both of you as well? Loretta, okay, do you want to so start? Just, maybe just some quick, just some quick thoughts on that. Uh, for, my, for, for me, the topmost on my mind is financial crime compliance, AML and sanctions compliance, because I think that's where a lot of banks get hit um, quite um, strongly by regulators. Second, second piece is uh, what I've been talking about, rec tech, fintech adoption, data analytics, that's quite big for us as well. And then I think lastly, but also more importantly, talent preservation. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to, I mean, I need to make sure that the, the knowledge and the, uh, um, the, and the things that we learn remains in my team. And also importantly, we were just discussing that with Gladys, how do I find the right people to come in in the next generation? Right? I'm looking for data scientists, I'm looking mm -hmm. for, for people who, who can understand the technology um, use in the compliance world. So mm -hmm. I think it's, very, it's a very small pool of people, so it's quite hard to find. I mean, that's, a, uh, that's a challenge as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess for, for Lazada, from a business perspective, um, it's about unlocking an era of inclusive trade. Um, we believe that with the right global policies in place, um, it's an opportunity where we can unleash an era of inclusive trade where regardless of the size of the companies, um, everyone should have equal benefit from the global trading system. Um, and um, and, and the, the, the more inclusive it is, um, the more people will be empowered uh, to really drive the transition uh, to a fairer and more robust economy. Uh, globally. I think from a functional perspective, legal and compliance team perspective, for me it's very clear. It's about innovation. It's about innovating to scale. It's about innovating to make sure that your business partner and you speak the same language um, in taking calculated risks and always remain ahead of the curve. Yeah. So what, what is your view then on the sort of compliance landscape? Um, there's been you know, a lot of regulation, a lot of, you know, the pace of change is huge. So what does that mean now and what do you think you're going to see in the future? Okay, you, you know, in, um, in Singapore, the MES has set up two new departments, a data analytics department and a, a data privacy and data enforcement and AML enforcement division. So I think they're going down that path of um, uh, putting a lot of focus on that. So I think the landscape will continue to be in that space, AML compliance enforcement. As well as doing that, we have to actually make use of data analytics because that's the strong message that's coming up from MAS. So I think banks in Singapore, I think we all kind of uh, cooperating one another, sharing information as to how best we can do so we tackle the technology question on data analytics. I think at least from non-banking perspective, may not just be e-commerce space. Um, I think this year, Capo's case uh, in Singapore has you know, made their headlines all over the world. Uh, it is the first time we're seeing a huge corruption case uh, against a Singapore company. Um, and that has really changed the landscape uh, from, you know, we always hear the FCPA, we always hear the DOJ extending their arms and legs to, you know, as far as Brazil or, and, and, and Mexico. Um, but now, you know, this year, last year was really a wake-up call uh, for a lot of people, uh, given how close, you know, that, that case is uh, to home. Um, what I'm actually seeing that um, you will see a lot more collaboration 
um, and the collaboration will exist between governments uh, because a lot of the transactions that's going to happen, it's going to be in the digital world. And in the digital world, is borderless world, right? I mean, how do you expect an Indonesian government to go, uh, hang on, the data transmit at whatever speed and I can draw block and that belongs to me, right? It ain't going to happen that way. So I'm, seeing, I'm going to see a lot more and I have seen a, a lot of collaboration between governments and between governments and businesses. So G to G, G to B will be a big thing um, in order for everyone um, to make a compliance work um, in, in whatever field they are, not necessarily e-commerce or banks. Yeah, I mean, I think collaboration, and we've been hearing a few themes this morning in the conference, and Loretta, you mentioned financial crime being one of your um, priorities. Um, that's certainly been a, a topic as well this morning. Um, I guess what are some of the, or the you know, two or three trends that you're seeing that you think will have a significant impact on the way that your organisation meets its financial crime obligations? Well, I think indications are showing that the heightened uh, scrutiny by the regulators on AML and sanctions compliance is not going to recede. <laughs> I think we've seen like so billions and billions of dollars of fines being levied on banks for mm -hmm. poor internal control environments for not being able to catch you know, the irregular transactions or rather, you know, kind of facilitating money laundering. So I think the trend is it will continue in 2018 and 2019. And I think banks, we, are, we, we must, we must up our game. We must get ahead of the money launderers. And we have to use, you must and we must use data analytics and technology to up our game for sure. That's one trend. A second trend is that um, the regulators are kind of evolving in the email space. They are now saying that uh, they expect banks to play a, higher, a, a bigger role. They want, you, they want us to evolve together the crimes. They want us to be ahead of that. So I think that's a bit, I mean, we are, we are still grappling with that. They are saying that, uh, you know, they're telling me, Loretta, you need to, you need to preempt, you need to think about what the money launderer's next step is. So I think that's, that's my next, I mean, that's the, the next thing that, uh, that's coming and uh, uh, we're kind of still, I mean, the industry is struggling with that. We are still thinking of ways to get around that. So that's a current topic. So I think that trend is going to continue in 2018. Yeah, it's interesting in terms of uh, one of the, the speakers this morning, Jeff Carmichael, said that, you know, the use of technology is probably one of our biggest hopes for closing the, the expectations gap. But then he was talking about the, the sort of challenges around, you know, it will help be more efficient and effective. However, you know, the regulators are going to still want to know who trained the system. Yes. So you're still going to rely on... Correct. So you're talking yeah. about the black box, right? Yeah. So MES has come out and publicly to say that uh, they, will not, they will not allow banks to take on or to adopt fintech solutions where you cannot unpack the black box. You don't know what the algorithms say. So for us in OCBC, I think we have gone out in the, in the media to say that we have adopted two fintech solutions, particularly in the transaction surveillance space. And um, I'm actually quite happy to say that uh, the vendors that we worked with, they're quite open about sharing their black box secrets. I think it's probably something that's quite like, uh, like her, that we'll share with you because they're like they're trade secrets, right? But it, for the two fintech companies I work with, they are sharing. And uh, the best part is that they are actually presenting it in front of MAS and we are unpacking and unlocking the algorithms. And I'm actually trying to understand all that squiggly things, what it means and exactly you know exactly what 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 is that function is supposed to do and uh, what is the uh, outcome supposed to be so I think it's moving now as a tech company uh, um, I find that technology is just a tool right it's what algorithm that you put on that channel onto that technology that's going to serve your purpose mm. so you know for me it's very clear that yeah we talk about using technology we talk about leveraging technology but technology can only get you that far 
um, is really you know putting the algorithm, understanding what data, understanding how data behaves, and understanding how different data sets interact with each other. That's where the value add is, and that's where the power of, of that tool that you've developed can achieve. So therein lies the uh, the big the, the big challenge, right, on talent preservation and talent yeah. find how to find the talent where you know all that um, Gladys has said with a compliance mindset and a compliance yeah. and risk overlay on that. So yeah. that, the pool is actually very small. Mm. Yeah, and look, it's interesting because you obviously are in a tech company, so to speak. So what do you think you have any insights that sort of from your vantage of being in a tech company that should be applied across other industries, especially maybe into the financial markets? Uh, of course, of course. I like to think that tech people are cool, so you should all be like us. Um, and generally, when I do public speaking, I try to wear my sneakers and jeans and, you know, swatch watch, uh, just to be representative of the tech community. But today, since I thought that I'll be amongst all gorgeous women, I should dress up. Um, so I think what I, I felt that's very different um, when I go out network with people who are from non-tech um, is the mindset change. Um, for tech companies, it's very natural for us to continuously challenge status quo. Right. We, we, we will come up with beta version today. Tomorrow, someone will say, why can't I have version 1.0 with this improvement? Right. We're constantly disrupting ourselves. We don't even need other people to tell us that we sucked. Right. We just like, look at our own self and go, OK, this, this tool you know, can't deliver this, so we need a version 2.0. So, so that's one, one key features that, or attributes that I find that exist in tech company. You know, when I look at my friends in Google, Facebook, Airbnb, we're all identical the way that we work, right? But then when you talk to people who are from the traditional industry, you know, oil and gas, uh, manufacturing, old school manufacturing, um, I felt that I was on a different planet um, with them. You know, I'm, I'm sorry if someone's from the same industry that I've just said, but that's, I'm just expressing my personal view. Oh, you didn't say banking, though. <laughs> banking is still okay, because I have Alipay. I can't say that. Um, so, uh, you know, I think another key attribute is being agile. Uh, for, for tech companies, you should be quite familiar with the concept called sprint. Um, so everything is done in a sprint mode. So being agile is a key feature of being in a, a tech company, um, and, and that sort of environment, you know, whether you're legal or compliance or people or finance, you know, you need to work in that, in that sprint environment. Um, and, and one thing, it's also ability to adapt and embrace change very quickly. Um, that's something that, you know, I, I, I find it's, there is a huge difference between tech versus non-tech companies. Um, our appetite uh, for change is much higher. Uh, our ability to adapt is much higher compared to uh, traditional industries. Um, and also, you know, um, given that we're in a disruptive mode, um, all these becomes very natural to us. It's not like we, we had a checklist and go, you must be this, you must be that, right? So it's a natural progression of um, who we are. Yeah. yeah, that's that's um, very interesting. I think, yeah, good lessons there, disrupting yourself and being agile, I think everyone can learn from. The, the cost of compliance, and I, uh, this is much more from a financial perspective, but the, the, the figures well, I had that we were, that it was estimated to be around $8 billion annually and growing, but this morning I saw someone quoting that it was US $99 billion. So whatever, it's a very large number in terms of the cost of compliance. And then the, the, um, the financial penalties were estimated to be at $345 billion at the end of 2017. 
Um, and I also saw this morning, uh, we said that we, by 2020, we'll have 300 million pages of regulations, which is an awful lot for you, for you ladies to read. Um, you can so fit it to a robot. <laughs> so a rectech robot. Yes, exactly. So given all of that, um, and the advent of regtech, which uh, you've both mentioned, what are the technologies that you're seeing have the most promising um, capabilities to, I guess, help around the cost of compliance and how we can manage that sort of incredible flow of regulatory change? So you see the problem with banks these days, and I think we don't do this very well, because our systems are old school, the cascade model, and it's very rules-based, right? So when we talk about transactions, just let's, let's just keep to the transaction surveillance space. The, 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 the systems that we use there is very rules-based. So we say, you know, we just input a parameter that says that, you know, just uh, spit out all the alerts that, uh, all the transactions that's above $10 million. You know, then we, we check whether it's irregular or not. So it's not a very good way of doing it, and which is why, you know, I think in, in other parts and other literature says that, you know, we, we're, not catching, we're not catching the real bad guys. Mm -hmm. So I think the technology has moved. We have moved um, to artificial intelligence, to machine learning, to natural language processing, where it is not rules-based anymore. So the technology that we are employing, it's a, what we call unsupervised learning, and the, the algorithm now is not, it's not hampered by parameters. It just goes into the big data environment, which is the bank, the banks, uh, the transactions uh, portal, and it goes and looks for anomalies. So rather than get it fixed to a to a parameter, it just looks for anomalies. When you, you know, you see whether it's uh, when, and you plot you plot the alerts on a on a on a scale, and you see where the outliers are. And that is one that probably you know would would uh, would drive the um, accuracy of finding the bad guys. So. Um, so that's what we're employing in, in, in OCBC. But in terms of cost of compliance, I want you to just be very clear, and, I just, and I, we talked about it just now, right? That um, we don't think, I don't see a reduction in compliance headcount just because we are employing all these techniques. Mm -hmm. Because what I'm essentially doing is removing all this mundane, manual, repetitive work away from, the, from my email analysts so that they can do, and they free up resources, and they can do the stuff they've been hired to do, which is, high-value, sophisticated, you know, reviews of whether a, a, a transaction is irregular, applying, um, you know, um, AML um, 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 theories and, and um, all the rules to see whether we can catch the bad guys. So I think it's not so much reduction of cost on compliance on the, from central compliance uh, perspective, but maybe at the front line, because at the front line of the banks, there's a lot of work, a lot of compliance work that is mundane and repetitive. So that one, we can use a machine, we can use technology to, to kind of like reduce, and that's where the reduction would be. Yeah, which is interesting because that was going to be my next question. So if you could think about what one thing would you most like to in, invest more in or change more quickly um, in this space, what, what would that be? I think for me it's really harmonising, uh, you know, standards, rules across uh, the world, ideally. Um, so take an example. Um, for those of you who are familiar with trademark regime, uh, every trademark office has a different process of filing trademark. But fundamentally, it's the same IP right you're protecting. Uh, and I'm, I, you know, one of my pet peeves is power of attorney. I get extremely upset when I need to execute a whole bunch of different power of attorneys just to file a bloody trademark. Right? It gets very irritating. Um, and for me, you know, there is so much more efficiency that we can all achieve together as part of the ecosystem if we start talking to each other, harmonize the standards, and agree on some protocols and principles as to what we should do when it comes to a systemic issue. 
Right, so I would love to see more investment and, and development along those lines. I mean, it could be harmonizing of you know, cross-border data exchange policy. It could be harmonization of you know, customs rules across all the different, uh, you know, let's start with ASEAN, okay? Like, uh, you know, harmonization of customs rules across the ASEAN so that we can facilitate a truly global free trade um, uh, environment, right? Harmonization of payment rules um, remittance rules, um, you know, the, the cost of complying with all these different set of differing standards and policies doesn't justify, you know, the, the benefit that I'm deriving at this point because, you know, I operate in six different markets. I have six different set of policies which, you know, I need to comply with six different center banks requirements. Um, and the banks themselves also have different compliance rules when it comes to, you know, global standards versus regional standards versus local standards. So, um, in, in my ideal world, uh, I would like to see a lot more investment being done by bringing people together and start, you know, looking at policies. Yeah, in a we, saw, global we saw this morning some statistics on the cost of all of that variation. So, yeah, very we just good want to point. build on Gladys' point because um, we are aligned on that. Because in the banking industry, we want to harmonize that. And in fact, we have a big project ongoing that's uh, already been announced in the media that we are actually setting up a national KYC utility. So, mm. and so for all banks to do a harmonized KYC process across Singapore, and that's amazing. So we're pouring a lot of investment in that. So that's one piece. And then two more pieces just to, you know, to, for the wish list. Can you, can you imagine if Swiss screening is also standardized? I mean, those of you who are bankers here, instead of each bank screening <laughs> for the payments itself, why doesn't Swift do it at their end? Swift just does it and there's bill us that service. Right, that's one piece, and the, the 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 third piece is transaction surveillance that can be centralized as well. Harmonized mm -hmm. policies on how we do transaction surveillance and do it across the across the whole of Singapore or across globally, mm. and then we can, you know, catch the bad guys together, and we can reduce all the cost and inefficiencies. Mm. I think that'd be great. So I think we have to wrap up. So just a couple of quick questions to mm. to finish on, which is our risky women rapid fire round. Um, what's your one word? that you would use to sum up the world of governance, risk and compliance from your perspective? Start with you, Loretta. Stressful. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I'm going to disrupt the rule. I have two words, not one. Um, so I think for me, it's embrace change. Um, that that's, has been constant in, in whether we, the way we do business and the way we, we regard risk uh, uh, and compliance. So two words. Great. Um, your top risk for 2018, Gladys? Uh, for me, it will be privacy, security, uh, cyber security. Um, you know, for the first time, I was reading the uh, draft security uh, uh, bill. Um, and for the first time, I realized that there is a thing called darknet. Um, so I was going to chime into Loretta's um, point when she said that you have to know what the fraudsters are thinking. It's all on darknet. Um, and, um, you know, uh, uh, trade issues, it's also probably one of the, the key things, uh, given yeah. that, you know, we were looking at uh, unlocking in inclusive trade. So that's probably, you know, those few key ones. And Loretta, for you, for top risk? Top risk would be financial crime compliance, email and sanctions compliance, because I think that's still the top risk for most banks. Um, and this morning, we were talking about conduct risk. And I think that's a fundamental issue that I think all organizations or firms need to put in place to make sure that the whole organization speaks in one voice and you know, do, does the right thing for the, not just the organization, but the larger community. I think we could have had a lot longer to get into yes. privacy, yes, to get yes. into more on financial crime. 
Um, so what do you think is the cure for the cost of compliance? For me, two things, education and innovation. Great. For me, it would be FinTech adoption and data analytics. I've spoken about that. Fantastic. And to end, optimistic, pessimistic or uncertain, what's your outlook for the year ahead? For e-commerce, optimistic all the way. <laughs> I would have to say optimistic as well because I see a lot of solutions that's uh, brewing and blossoming in the, in the industry and I think there's a lot, of, a lot of work and a lot of things we can learn from that. So optimistic. Fantastic. So I'm sorry I haven't managed to give you a chance to ask questions. You'll have to grab these fabulous ladies uh, at the end before you head back in. But thank you very much, Gladys. Thank you very much, Loretta. We thank could have you. spoken for a lot longer, but thank you for joining us today and being our risky women. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Risky Women Radio to connect, champion and celebrate women in risk regulation and compliance. I'm Kimberly Cole, based in Hong Kong. For more information on the Risky Women Global Network, head to our website in the episode notes and please be part of the ongoing conversation by subscribing to this podcast, connecting with us on Twitter or even reaching out to me directly by email.